My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So I I wore my Christmas tie for you all to see today, because tonight I'll have my collar on. It's got Santa at the bottom. That's it. That's the only really Christmas tie I have. The other one has candy canes on it. Having done with the festivities, let's get to work. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her children about the nativity and Mary and Joseph and the angels. And at the end of the class, she asked the kids, who is the most important woman in the Bible? And they all did what a lot of kids do. They all looked like they were confused. And they looked at each other and they looked at her and one kid said, I think it's Eve. And she said, really? Why would you pick Eve? And he said, well, you know, she's got two holidays named after her. You have to think about that one for a second, so here we go. Take a moment and remember when you were 12 or 13 and 14, or better yet, talk to your 14-year-old self. And In our, my counseling office, we refer to that as the little you, the little doc, the little Vicky, the little whomever. And that younger version of you had not yet become jaded or broken or exhausted or overwhelmed or underpaid or pessimistic. And they had dreams about what life would be when they grew up. I always thought that I would either be a great preacher with a church of hundreds of people or that I would be a great singer singing all around the world. And here we are. I also dreamed I would have a beautiful wife and great kids, and that did work out the way it should. Now, I want you to think about this. Many scholars tell us that Mary was between 12 and 15 years old, which was marrying age in Palestine in the first century. And Mary was betrothed to a successful business owner, Joseph the carpenter. Now, some scholars want us to believe that Joseph was an older man, perhaps a widower and on his second marriage and that he needed a new lady of the house. But we don't know that for sure. Joseph could have been a young, handsome, God-fearing, madly in love with Mary, potential Disney prince to compliment a young, beautiful, starstruck Mary. Both of them had dreams, both of them had plans, and let's be honest, their parents had plans for them. Mary and Joseph, like any other couple, were were filled with the the community's vision of what life should be for them. Now, when my sister was little, and I'm not going to get in trouble for this because this has just happened all the time, my mom had a big pile of magazines. I don't know if in the old days your family had that pile of magazines. And on rainy days, my sister would get out the, the shears and a piece of poster board, and they would cut out, she and her friends, their future family. Oh, this is going to be my husband, and they'd, they'd cut out a guy and stick him to the board, and this is going to be my house and my car and my kids. Now, if you didn't do that, just nod knowingly that other people did. But we all, at one point in our life, started planning, hoping, praying, dreaming what our life would be like. And I want you to think that this was the hopeful, optimistic dream that Mary and Joseph had in the first century, and then Gabriel. Remember, we talked about this, a six-foot, glow-in-the-dark man 
Now, it doesn't say he had a sword, but all the angels had one. He might have had a sword with him. Pops up in Mary's bedroom at night in the dark. Now, the scripture today very politely said she was troubled. Now, do you remember what it says when it shows up to the, the uh, shepherds? They were sore afraid. That's where I'm headed. This teenage girl with hopes and dreams getting married, or this glow-in-the-dark person with a sword showed up in her bedroom. Would you be concerned? Just a little, right? And Gabriel came to a real, live, hopeful, godly Mary. I want you to hear that. Mary, for many of us, never leaves our little nativity set. She's a beautiful young lady, and she's got the blue and the white hood. Why does she always have a blue and a white hood? I have no idea, but she does, and she looks sweet. Now, I've been present for the birth of many children, my, my three, and then when I was a hospital chaplain for many others, and I got to tell you, three or four hours after they're born, they mom does not look hopeful and serene. She usually looks exhausted and sweaty, and she might still be saying mean things to the husband, like, you did this to me, we're never doing this again. But in our nativity, Mary, is, she's got her knees bent, and she's praying, and she looks serene. We have to take Mary out of the nativity and make her a real person. And that real person had dreams. And Gabriel came and changed them all. Here are some of Mary's new realities. And I want you to, if you can, set the Wayback Machine to perhaps the 1950s or 60s in your mind. So today, if a, a girl gets in a family way and she's not married, we shrug our shoulders and say, things happen. But back in the day, it changed her life, didn't it? Maybe she had to marry the fella. Maybe the town talked about her behind her back. Maybe she didn't have the same opportunities she might have had if she had not become in a family way. Mary was branded from the day that she became pregnant with the equivalent of a scarlet letter. And the town whispered about her and there were rumors about her and gossip and judgment. It ruined her reputation. She was disgraced. She might have even had to get water from the well like the woman in Samaria. When Mary said, let this happen to me, she was agreeing to be the woman with the scarlet letter. Now, her husband, Joseph, this poor guy, didn't do anything wrong. But from now on, he's going to be viewed as weak and impotent and the father to a child who's not his whose wife was not pure when they got married, or impure because Joseph and Mary jumped the gun. He's probably going to lose some business. And even though he's going to raise Jesus as his son, Jesus will never be allowed socially to claim him. If you remember, in the first century, you would say your name, Doc Bar Benjamin. That's my dad. Well, Jesus was called Jesus of Nazareth, never Barjona, because the implication was that any man in Nazareth could have been his dad. And he had to carry that with him for the rest of his life. Mary said yes to all of this. 
Mary's family is going to be disgraced and embarrassed and outraged. They're going to be judged by their neighbors. They're going to lose social standing. And how could they raise a daughter like this? And poor Jesus, we said this already, can't claim Joseph as his father. He's forever branded and perceived to be the product of his mother's sin and weakness. And the weakness and the impotence of Joseph and from the beginning of the family that, that we have in the manger looking serene and quiet, they're going to have strife and judgment. Now, Joseph, I'm sorry, Gabriel called Mary blessed, fulfilled, happy, peaceful. <laughs> I'm not sure that Mary would have said the same thing. And that's where we have to let the rubber of our faith meet the road of real life. Blessings come with a cost. Most anything comes with a cost. I, I taught at the college for 20 years, and the third to the last class was always the treatment class. And I would never give the names of my patients, but I would tell of the journey that we went on and how people got better. And at the end of the class, somebody... Uh, now think, I'm teaching freshmen, so they're 18 and 19 years old, would come up and go, oh, I want to help people like that. How do I get to do what you're doing? And I say, well, first, you have to finish four years of undergrad. Okay. And then you have to finish two to three years of grad. Okay. Well, then, if you want to do what I do, you've got to spend another three to five years getting your PhD and writing your dissertation. Okay, and then to get your license to practice, you have to do five to 8,000, and if you only have your master's, 12,000 hours of supervised counseling. How long does that take, they would say. I said, well, I finished when I was 31, but I, I was early. I'm an overachiever. You're probably going to be in school until you're in your mid-30s, and their shoulders would slump, and the air would come out of their lungs and they would walk away like a dog with a tail between their legs because they didn't want to do the work. Everything has a cost. If you're in a career that you had to go to school or training for, there's a cost, there's tests, there's challenges. Mary agreed to pay the cost for the blessing now, what does that cost look like for us? I want two scriptures to come to your mind if you're taking notes. The first one is Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And in Luke 18, 29, Peter asks, what, what about us? <laughs> what blessing do we get? And Jesus said, if you've left your home or wives or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, God will, I can't read my own handwriting, the kingdom of God will fail to be received many times in this age, but eternal life in the next. The price we pay here as believers is not always going to reap a reward here, but it will in the next life. So then the question is, would you be willing to sacrifice and then God fills in the blank, not you, for the kingdom of God? 
Mary and Joseph gave up prestige. They gave up comfort. They gave up financial stability. God might even ask you to give up your life's work for the kingdom of God. There's a story, a true story of a professor who was sitting at his desk one evening working on his next day's lectures. His housekeeper had laid that day's mail and papers at his desk and he began to shuffle through them, discarding most of the wastebasket. I don't know if that would happens in your house, but Vicki and I, I'd say 90% of what we take out of the mailbox goes right into recycling. Same thing for this professor. And then he noticed a magazine that he'd not seen before, which was not even addressed to him, but delivered to his office by mistake. And it fell open to an article titled, the Congo, the needs of the Congo mission. Casually, he began to read and suddenly was consumed by these words. The need is great here. We have no one to work the northern province of Gabon in central Congo. And it is my prayer as I write this article that God will lay his hand on one, one of whom already the master's eyes have been cast, that he or she shall be called to this place to help us. Professor Albert Schweitzer closed the magazine and wrote in his diary, my search is over, and he gave himself to the Congo. That little article hidden in a periodical intended for somebody else was placed by accident in his mailbox. By chance, he noticed the title and it leapt out of him. Chance? No. It was a surprise of God. What would you be willing to give up for the kingdom of God? The angel Gabriel metaphorically stands by each of our beds in the middle of the night, and we're afraid not just because a six-foot glow-in-the-dark man with a sword showed up, but because he might ask us a question as life-changing as the question he asked Mary. Blessed are you, he says. God has a plan for you. Will you accept the call? Will you trust the plan? Will you pay the price for the kingdom of God? Amen.